My message this morning, incapacitated by sin. Incapacitated by sin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the truth that sets men free, whether it's in New York City, Dallas, Texas, Tokyo, all over the world. It's truth and truth alone that delivers men from the power of sin and habits. Oh, God, this morning I pray that you quicken my body, quicken the hearers this morning. Let us hear what the word of the Lord, what you have to say, Lord. Strengthen me and give deliverance to those, O Lord, who are bound by sin. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. Incapacitated by sin. Incapacitated is quite a frightening word. The word itself means deprived of capacity or power to perform. Incapacitated means rendered unfit, useless, disqualified. And that's exactly what sin does in the life of a believer. It happens in ministers, it happens in lay people, it happens to anyone. Sin absolutely incapacitates you for the eternal purposes of God to be of any use to the kingdom of God whatsoever. <clears throat> I've been studying recently the 32nd chapter of Isaiah. The 32nd chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talks about the coming of kings and priests, talks about the kingdom of God, and he foretells, Isaiah the prophet foretells what it's going to be like when Messiah comes, when he puts, sets up his kingdom on earth, which the kingdom in which we're living right now. In the time that Isaiah spoke, the prophets could not see, they could not hear, they were bound, they were incapacitated. And he was talking about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, and he's speaking of that. And he's saying, if you want to know what the marks are going to be of those who are truly followers of the Messiah, if you want to know the, the marks of a truly righteous person, he said, I'm going to give it to you. And he goes down to the first few verses of Isaiah, the 32nd chapter, describing what a, a person's going to be like in the kingdom of God, these kings and priests unto the Lord. The distinguishing marks, if you want to know what it's going to be like, he says it's not going to be like these times. It'll not be the spiritual blindness in those who follow the Messiah. There will not be the deaf ears. In fact, he begins with these words, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Then he adds, A man shall be a hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Now, many commentaries say that can be any Christian that is truly a follower of Christ. But that I disagree with that 100%. There is no man, there is no human being that can be a rock in a weary land. There is no human being that can be all these things described in verse 2. He can't be so holy, no matter how holy he is, how deep he is in Christ. He can't be a covert from a storm. He can't satisfy a dry soul. He can't be a trustworthy shadow. And certainly he cannot be the rock. That rock is Christ. Christ alone. But he does say that the man of God, those who are shut in with Christ, in the time the Messiah comes, in our day in which we live right now, he describes what a true Christian is supposed to be like. A well-watered garden, a quiet conscience, a soul that's full of peace. He's at rest with his soul. And this man, according to the scripture, can sit down under his shadow with great delight. His fruit is sweet to the taste. He brings us into a banqueting house, his banner over us is love. That's a description of the Christian that's walking in faith. This true man of God, Isaiah said, has no tempest in his soul because of a besetting sin. He's fully trusting God to mortify every sin in his life. His spirit's as free as a bird. There's a song in his heart because Christ is his delight. You find that all through the book of Isaiah. There's no worry or fear in his heart because he's clear between him and the Lord. He knows his security in Christ. He knows who he is in the Lord. He knows that every tongue that's raised against him shall be brought to naught. He knows that every weapon formed against him cannot prosper. 
In fact, Isaiah gives two major distinguishing marks of a righteous person. If you are truly walking in his righteousness, number one, you will have discernment. Number two, you will know his voice. The eyes of them that shall see, that, that see shall not be dim. The ears of them that hear shall hearken. Do you remember when Christ saw Nathaniel coming to him? He said, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. What he was saying, brother, behold a man who has no hidden sin in his life. Here's a man who's an open book. There's nothing that is hidden in his life. Nothing, nothing of iniquity, no guile in his life. And then he gave these amazing words to Nathaniel. You'll see an open heaven. The heavens are going to be open to you. And the, the word there in Greek speaks of repetition. Continuity. The very word is, is the root word is continuity. He said, Nathaniel, because you have no sin in your life, you have opened your heart to the Lord. You, you, you are living without God in your life. You're going to have a constant river of revelation coming through you. And folks, I have seen that over the years and I know that to be the truth. Those who walk in the righteousness of Christ by faith, those who take their sins to the blood, those who trust the Holy Ghost to mortify the sins in their flesh, those who are not live in an open rebellion toward the Lord, those who love Jesus with all their heart, there's a constant revelation. You can be sitting in a meeting like this and hear a preacher preach, and suddenly all kinds of new, new revelations come to you. New thoughts come to you. Even though the preacher may be preaching on a text, you begin to see and hear things that the pastor or the evangelist has only brought to your attention. I marvel lately at the tapes that I'm getting from young preachers from all of the United States. They'll send tapes to our office and I, when I'm in the car, I listen to them. And I'm amazed at what I hear. These are young ministers that are not into publicity, not into any worldly ambition. They're not into the numbers game. These are young men that are just shut in with God. They're not watching television. They're not couch potatoes. These are men that are into the word of God. They're seeking him. And I hear revelation that I've never heard in my life. I hear things that I've never heard. I said, Lord, I've studied those verses for years and I've not seen what this young man has seen. Then I usually get on the phone, if even I'm in the car and I'll get their secretary, most of them don't have secretaries, they're pastors of little churches. And I called them and said, I, I heard you take, could you send me three or four more? I get hungry to hear what God is saying. That's how Pastor Carter came to this church. I was in a car and heard his tapes. And I heard a sound from a young man been shut in with God at a revelation of Jesus. We, we've just added another young man to our staff at our Bible school. Uh, and this young man was shut in with God in a small church. And there's a revelation of Jesus in his heart. I'm amazed when I listen to our elders get up here and speak. Most of them without a theological training. Most of them without ever been to a Bible school or seminary. And get it here in the pulpit or get in a classroom. And, and they, they begin to open up their heart and you hear a revelation of Jesus. The reason for that is because there's no guile in their life. They've learned to trust the Lord for victory over their sin. And they have, they are these well-watered gardens. The revelation is coming forth. On the other hand, you can go to churches and there's nothing more tragic than to sit on the ministry of a preacher or a teacher that has sin in their life and there's no vision, there's no life, there's no sense of reality. You don't hear Christ in his fullness. You don't get the revelation of who he is. I'm continually, honestly amazed. I, I meet them. Uh, I met them this week. I'm in... in hotel with my wife sitting at a restaurant and here come a group of young pastors and tears run down their cheeks. They said, oh, brother Wilson, we thought we were so alone because we don't go with what's going on today. We don't go with the hype. 
We don't go with the new sinner-friendly gospel. We don't accommodate. We stand and preach the word of God, and the Lord's revealing himself. There's been so encouraged. You've encouraged this, Brother Dave, to go on in the Lord. And you can tell that there's a remnant. They step right out. You can see them. You can you can tell. There's, there's something about their mannerism even. There's so, they, all they talk about is Jesus. You go over here, there's a whole group of preachers, and all they're talking about is their golf score. They're talking about the things of this world. And these young men just get up and go over here, and they, they are attracted to one another because it's the Christ in them. It's amazing. And folks, I want you to, I am encouraged. There are literally thousands of hidden pastors, hidden Christians shut in with the Lord that are, that are seeking the Lord with all their heart. I, I, I uh, had our office bring uh, about three or four thousand of my new book to the convention, but I thought Tuesday, Wednesday night, I'll wait till I preach it and then I'll let them get the book after the service. Because I didn't want him sitting through by preaching on the subject, reading it while I'm preaching it. But they were setting up and they got mobbed. And the people said, we can't wait, please, please. They just grabbed boxes of them. I mean, bought them, of course, but uh, there was such a hunger. And most of them are young ministers, just so hungry and so open to the word of God. But now I want to... Consider with you what Isaiah said about those who harbor sin. In few but powerful words, he gives the marks of those who are incapacitated by a, a hidden sin, a secret besetting sin in life. And this is the person who renders themselves useless to the kingdom of God. Absolutely useless. Incapacitated. There are three characteristics that Isaiah gives in the 32nd chapter of a person whose secret sin has incapacitated him. There, there are four or five of them, but I want to go over just three of these distinguishing marks of any Christian that has secret sin. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Number one, a total loss of discernment. Absolute loss of discernment, a perverting of every spiritual perception. In fact, Isaiah was talking to a priest. He was talking to leaders and princes who had their, absolutely had their eyes shut and their ears closed. And he, he's, he's talking now about a kingdom that's coming, but he, but he gives these people of his time, he gives his generation the reason they can't hear what the prophet is saying. In fact, in Matthew 6.23, if your eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying every act of disobedience, every sin that is not confessed and forsaken causes the light of discernment to slowly darken. It's the first thing that happens when you allow sin in your life to go on, when it's not dealt with through the yielding to the Holy Spirit for victory. There is a change in your demeanor, in your outlook. You can't discern what is evil and what is good, what is right and what is wrong. You become totally ignorant of the truths of the gospel. Your eyes become closed. A loss of discernment. I have been shocked at Tapes that I received recently, videotapes of evangelists who are having conferences and there are thousands of people in those conferences. And in one conference, I, I was so utterly shocked because a singer got up to sing and he said, well, I'm going to sing a new song, Run for the Money. And he said, if you get up while I'm singing and run, God will give you money. Money will flow into you. Run for the money. That was the song in one of these prosperity gospel conventions in St. Louis last year. And I was amazed. The man stands up and he's singing this crazy ditty about run for the money. And people are running crazy through the audience. And I'm thinking, where is your discernment? How can you believe such incredible Unbelievable garbage 
for lack of a better word. There's sin. There's sin in those who teach it. There is sin in those who hear it because there's a loss of discernment. God dealt with sin long before and they learned to compromise with it, to justify it. And now it's hard itself. The conscience is seared. And so that they will believe any lie. The Bible says they will believe the lie to be the truth in the last days. Oh, beginning to see it as they travel some, they're beginning to see the absolute blindness. A huge church in Dallas, Texas, one of the largest, a Bible church. And now on Saturday nights, dancing and drinking. And it's going on and on until there's such foolishness in the house of God. Because there are not enough people that have discernment. Nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more than when God's servants reject and resist the warnings from the pulpit. And I can tell you, one of the easiest places to backslide and lose your discernment is right here in Times Square Church. You can sit under anointed preaching from our pastors and God come down lovingly on sin. He'll show you, He'll show you abundance of grace and mercy. But when you reject that, you can sit in the choir, you can be in the orchestra, you can be anywhere in this, you can be working in the Sunday school, and you hold on and harbor sin. And I tell you, you'll come to the place where you can sit under the most Holy Ghost anointing, you can sit under meeting where the conviction of the Holy Ghost is so strong and powerful, and be totally unmoved. Totally unmoved. And, and, and you will see... I have watched people look at the kind of tapes I just described to you and sit there and say, isn't that wonderful? And I look at them, and I'm so glad they're not members or believers from Times Square Church. <laughs> they wouldn't be thinking that way very long. We, in great love, instruct them otherwise. The Lord will come to you and he'll plead with you about your sin. He'll warn you. He'll chasten you. He'll afflict you because he loves you. <clears throat> but Paul spoke. Peter spoke of Christ speaking under the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient. He said, in fact, he's saying they're in prison because of their disobedience. And when there's disobedience, the mind becomes absolutely imprisoned. I remember as a young preacher many, many years ago, God was dealing with me about something in my life. <clears throat> I have to tell you, because some of you might try to imagine what the sin was. I'd better explain it unless you run off with something. <laughs> but in those days, they, they had just come on with some R-rated kind of stuff on television in the motels, and I was traveling in the Midwest and I just turned it on, and I didn't turn it off soon enough. Got just a little intrigued by what was going on, and I did that two times. And the, I remember the day, the day clearly when the Lord took me out into a field, a cornfield in the Midwest, and took me for a walk and said, come with me. And I walked out in the field, and God said, oh, I've isolated you out here because I'm going to talk to you plain, and I want you to hear it well. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me in no uncertain terms, David, if you watch that stuff, you're going to get hooked and I'm going to take the anointing from you and you'll be of no value to my kingdom at all. You'll be totally incapacitated. You'll, you'll end up one day at the judgment seat, an empty vessel. You will one day stand before me having brought shame to my name. And I'll tell you, he put the fear of God in me. He put his holy fear in me and kept me all these years. I remember that day. And he'll come to you that way when you, when you really love him with all your, he will warn you. And I tell you, you continue, he will take your anointing from you. If you're a teacher, whatever you may be, he'll lift the anointing. He will not stay with you in that. Now, he'll, he'll deal with you in love. He, he'll woo you, but you will lose your anointing. A lady, a wife wrote the following last week. My husband is given over completely to internet porno. I filed for divorce and he doesn't even care. We were happily married for 25 years, good Christians. I couldn't understand why he spent so much time shut in his room with his computer. <clears throat> One day I opened the door quietly and peeked in and I was shocked at the ugly filth he was watching. He became obsessed. 
His personality changed. He became a mean person. He was now addicted. When I threatened to leave him, he agreed to get rid of the computer. It lasted three months. He brought one back into the house saying, I can't help it. The computer stays. I'll do as I please. She said, I filed for divorce because I don't know this man. This man now walks in darkness. He feeds his soul on the dregs of hell. A pastor's wife wrote, my husband, Brother Dave, once worked with you. He was a good man, a true shepherd, wonderful pastor. He loved to teach. He loved sinners. He ministered to alcoholics, addicts. He took in street people. He was so kind, considered, but he began to flirt with pornography. Within months, I saw my husband change into another man. He became addicted. He lost all discernment. He was bringing home filthy videos. One day he came to me and said he'd leave me if I didn't watch him with him. I did it reluctantly, but after two weeks it was seducing me, and I got scared, ran out of the room and repented. My husband, though, went deeper and deeper into a gloomy darkness. Doubts about God's faithfulness flooded his mind. He became disgusted with the ministry. His fruit dried up. He left me. He married a witch, and he's in the occult now. Isaiah warned, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. John Owen, the Puritan, said, A man under the power of some predominant lust is under false security. He does not discern the coming perilous times, and he does not discharge his duty as a watchman. He was speaking to preachers. I read it again. Any man under the power of some predominant lust is under false security. He does not discern the coming perilous times. He does not discharge his duty as a watchman. And that's why many pastors cannot stand in the pulpit and warn the people. I have been saying everywhere I go, the time's going to come when this stock market crashes. And folks, I believe we're going to go down at least 5,000 points. It's going to be disasters this nation has never seen. There are going to be people stand. I warn pastors. I warn thousands. They're going to stand in your church if you don't warn. Say, Pastor, where were you? Why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? It's right here just as I said. A man under a predominant lust cannot discern the time. He cannot discharge his duty as a watchman. All he can preach is a perverted form of grace because he's convicted by his own sins. Paul makes a horrifying statement in Ephesians 4. He's directed this to those who walk in the vanity of their own minds, who have justified their sins and they're no longer seeking deliverance. He said, having the understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart. And folks, there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands of Christians sitting under pastors and under teachers now whose eyes have been darkened, who are totally alienated from God, borrowing messages one from another, and death is producing death. And how did they become so blind? It's a judicial blindness who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Number two, a deafness to the voice of God. Hidden sin, unforsaken sin, causes deafness to the voice of God. When I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you didn't hear. But you did evil before my eyes, and you chose that when I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you'll be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you'll be thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you'll be ashamed. My servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you'll cry for sorrow of heart. You'll howl for vexation of spirit. You shall leave your name for curse to my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. Now, folks, I'm not talking about a Christian that is suddenly surprised by sin or overtaken by some sin that's got them overwhelmed. I'm not talking about the Christian that cries out, Oh God, I have sinned in my life and I hate it, I despise it, and I want deliverance, and I believe that you're greater in me than he that's in the world. 
I'm not talking about that one who's in a battle, a struggle. And I agree with the Puritan John Owen who said, Never in the history of mankind has God turned away from any man or woman who hates their sin and has made no peace with it. Never has God turned away. You may be sitting here on the sound of my voice and you're going through a struggle with some kind of besetting sin. It could be, I, I, I don't even want to begin to name what it could be. It's between you and the Holy Ghost. But you've not made peace with it. You've not seared your conscience with it. There's this, there's an uprising in your heart saying, Oh God, I want nothing to stand between you and me. I want an open heaven. I want the revelation. I don't want a gossiping tongue. I don't want to hear filth. I don't want to sit in front of a television and watch soap operas. Nothing but filth and degradation out of hell. I don't want to get hooked on the things of this world. I don't want to be a part of this world system. And if it's gotten a hold of you, if you've been surprised by sin, if you'll turn, Lord, and cry with all your heart, God will open your ears. He'll open your eyes and give you an understanding. I'm not talking about that. Nor am I talking about those the prophet Malachi mentions of those who are committing adultery, having affairs, and cheating, and treacherous against their mates. He was speaking especially even to ministers who cover the altar with their tears. All they do is bawl and cry in the presence of God. I cry, 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 but never ever leave their sin. He said, don't cover my altar with, with your tears, and you have no desire to walk away from your treachery. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who are laying down in the lap of their Delilah. They have no desire to walk away from it. The Lord said, I'll choose your delusion. I'll bring your fear upon you because when I called, you didn't answer me. And when I spoke, you didn't hear. You did evil before my eyes and you chose that in which I didn't delight. What an awful thing it is when God no longer talks to a man or woman. And that happened to Saul. A once gifted, spirit-filled man. Saul, the scripture said, when he was in sin, became afraid and his heart trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not neither by dreams nor visions nor by prophets. And folks, over the years, I have had evangelists. Some of them I would name and you would know them. You'd have to, it would, it would, these, these were evangelists that were very famous some 40 years ago, perhaps. I've had them in my office, some of them in canes, just hobbling along, even in their 60s and 70s, just hobbling. They were young evangelists when I was a kid, and they'll come and see me, and there's nothing but hollowed eyes and sunken cheeks. There's, they haven't preached in years, they've been on a shelf. And they don't even have enough spirit left in them to pray with me before they leave my office. And they hand you a limp wrist. And I watched them walk out of my office and I trembled and I said, Oh God, I don't want to go out that way. God, keep your hand upon me. That's put as much as anything's put the fear of God in my life. When I see these men back when they were ten evangelists and healing evangelists and, and were living high and, and taking the money from the poor and and, 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 and so mixed up in their theology, many of them drinking, many of them in adultery and a fallen and one after another. Jeremiah said of them, they obeyed not, they didn't incline their ear, they made their necks stiff, that they may not hear nor receive instruction. They hardened their necks that they may not hear my words. Next is the distortion of truth. Isaiah said, you have stammering lips. And he said, the time is coming, God's going to heal the stammering lips. The word stammering there is defective utterance. A defective utterance. The voice of hesitation. A no ring of truth to it. It's a man who can't stand up and truly say, thus saith the Lord. Because of sin. Listen to these solemn words of Isaiah. The vile man will speak villainy. His heart will... Iniquity to practice hypocrisy. And the word villainy there is foolishness. It comes from a word called nabal or nabal, which means fool. He's saying, 
a man is a Nabal. He's a fool. He's a wicked man who attempts to deliver God's word or teach God's word while indulging in sin. They will utter error against the Lord. They will make empty the soul of the hungry. They will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. They're going to be preaching, but they're going to be emptying the hearts of the hungry and the thirsty even while they preach. I agree when I get hundreds of letters. Gwen and I read hundreds and... and, and uh, Last night I picked up a box. I, I read a, probably a hundred or 150 letters just last night. And they write, I hate the thought of going to church. I get a knot in my stomach when I think about going to my church on Sunday morning. It's so unfilling. The word is so shallow. There's no challenge. There's no provoking to prayer and holiness. In fact, I can't find a church in my neighborhood or my city that ever feeds my soul. What a tragedy. I've mentioned a few sins of the flesh, but there's one sin that we are guilty of that is probably causes the most distortion of truth of all other sins. And that's the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. You, you may have escaped all the others. You could have sat here saying, I, I'm safe. Boy, there's... Well, I think I'm going to come down close to where most of us are living now. God calls it going back to Egypt. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, but they look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Woe to the rebellious children that take counsel, but not of me. They walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked at my mouth. Isaiah was dumbfounded at the priest, at the princes, at the leaders of Israel. They had no time to seek God. No time to hear from his word. No time to consult with the prophets of God. But they were mounting their horses, running down to Egypt. Listening to heathen men trying to show them how to get out of their misery and how to solve their political and social problems. Amazing. He was dumbfounded. And that's why he cries out, woe to you. You're running down. You're turning to heathen to try to find an answer to run God's program. And nothing has changed. We see pastors and we see Christians getting in their cars and planes and trains and running all over the country, going to Egyptian seminars and conventions, trying to strategize and network and get some idea on how to make the kingdom of God work. I, I was invited just, you know, to, to go to some private sessions of pastors on social problems and because I've worked with drug addicts all these years, and I go in, and, and they're strategizing there for six hours at a time. They're, they're, they're strategizing, and and one after another, everybody giving their ideas. And I'm, after 20 minutes, I've had it. And I'm, I kindly dismiss myself usually and say, gentlemen, all I know what I read in the New Testament is that when there were problems and things had to be solved, they got on their knees and they sought the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost said and the Holy Ghost said and the Holy Ghost said. And folks, I just dismissed myself and said, folks, I, gentlemen, I'm sorry, but you gentlemen know far more than I do. I don't I'm I'm too old and I've lost touch. Little I've, I've told some I've lost touch and I just kindly dismiss myself. Because I don't even know what they're talking about. All the statistics, all the charts, all of the figuring it out. And I'm sitting there saying, Lord, am I in another world? Everybody's got their computers out. Everybody's going for the new time religion. The old time religion's not for them anymore.
New time religion. Fifteen minute sermonettes. Twenty minute dramas. Little ditty songs that nothing but bebop, bebop, bebop. <laughs> what distortion of truth happens when you go to Egypt? How the truth of God gets totally distorted. Well, let me, you know, I would never preach like this and I'll tell you, give you the good news. Now, let me give you the good news. The Lord has given some wonderful examples in his word how to revive those who've lost their discernment. There, there are two men of God uh, in Haggai that were sent on a divine mission, Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua. These, these were mighty men of God, and they were called to rebuild the fallen temple in Jerusalem. They'd been working faithfully, diligently, with their hands and their heart and everything in it. And for quite a while, they labored against great opposition. Remember, the Samaritans opposed them. Even backslidden Jews opposed them. Tried to prevent the ministry. But these men had a vision. They had a dream. to, And they had a mandate from God. And they were led by the Holy Spirit. But finally, their enemies and their opposition succeeding in getting Cyrus to rule against them. And for 16 years, the work of God in Jerusalem stopped. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel and Joshua grew weary of the struggle, tired of the opposition and the gossip, and they, 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 they finally just got discouraged, and they gave up. Now, folks, there was no reason for Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, to stop this work. There was none at all. God had told them to continue. In fact, all that Cyrus did was speak a word. He never even sent a letter till 12 years later and in the hand of Ezra. There was no reason. There was no reason whatsoever. The Lord, that work should have gone on, but they were weary. They were tired of the battle. You know, there are a lot of Christians just like that now who started right on fire for God, had a true vision of Christ and his glory, but they, they, they just got weary. They, they got tired of the battle of the spiritual warfare. They, 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 they just got caught up in material things. And suddenly, Zerubbabel and the high priest and all the priests, the Levites, are all busy now building their own houses, doing their own thing, planning their own estates, and the work of God dies. The eternal purposes of God die. And unbelief in the heart of Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua rendered them totally incapacitated to the work of God. It was unbelief and it was a sin. That sin is as bad or worse than any sin of the flesh you can name. Unbelief, that, that, that just weariness. I've had it. I can't go on. I'm just going to serve the Lord. They didn't turn against God. I'm sure the priest went through uh, the motions. But... This is what happens, beloved, when there's unbelief in your heart. When you pray and your prayers are not being answered on your schedule. You, 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 you are just tired of the constant battle of spiritual warfare going on with God, living a separated life. Because you see your neighbors, you see your friends, you see everybody else trying to uh, make it in today's New York Times, there's a whole article there about the golden calf, about the pursuit of money. And they say in no uncertain terms in the whole magazine section that money has become the God of America. It's come from, un, uh, from, from liberal writers, most of them Jewish writers, saying it is money, money, money. And if you get away from the eternal purposes of God, if you get away from being centered in Christ, if you get away from your prayer closet, you get away from the Word of God. If Zerubbabel, a holy, godly man, Joshua the high priest, called and anointed for a special purpose, turn away from that purpose. And I'll tell you, you can always, the devil will always provide you a theology to back it up. 
Because the theology then became, well, it's not God's time, evidently, to do this. It's not God's time. I hear pastors everywhere I go. I get it in the mail now. It goes like this. I can't wait till I'm old enough to retire. I've had enough of the abuse. I've had enough of this ministry. Come retirement, I'm out of here. And I'll tell you, they heard it loud and clear for me. Every time I stand up, they said, you go ahead and retire and you'll backslide. Because if you're anointed the Holy Ghost, the more you preach on the anointing, the more powerful, the more strength you ought to have, and the more desire to go on. I can assure you it's said in kindness. The Holy Spirit's a quickening spirit. Now, I'm not saying for you that are not in the ministry, you go ahead and retire. You you go to Florida, go anywhere you want, but just keep the touch of God. I'm not against that. Thank God for a Haggai. Haggai came on the scene. Here's a man without guile, and he has an open heaven. He has the mind of the Lord, and he has the prophetic word. He said, is it time for you? He's speaking to Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant. Is it time for you, O oh, you, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, therefore, consider your ways. And this was a call from the prophet Haggai. He said, look, if you're getting distracted and you're spending more time now on your things than the things of God. Let me talk to you that uh, that are here that come only Sunday morning now. There was a time you wouldn't miss a service. You were so on fire for God. You'd hear, you'd hear me preach, or whoever was preaching here, and then you'd go by the tape and, and listen to it again in a week. You were so hungry for God. You were so on fire for the Lord that the things of God just consumed you. The, the, the purpose of God. Your job was just a way to make a living until Jesus comes. You weren't into money. You were not into your own thing. You were not trying to get something bigger and better and just trying to, to better yourself. And you were not spending time wasting, sitting, watching some dumb Seinfeld or, or whatever it may be. Thank God he's gone. You start, the uh, first thing you'll, you will attend will be the Sunday night evangelistic service. And then, then you'll, you'll sneak in occasionally in a prayer meeting you'll never come to. Because you see, you're going to be the Zerubbabel Joshua type at this time where uh, you go for your own sealed houses and your own interest. And you'll say, well, God expects me to take care of my family. Listen, my Bible said, you seek God first, his kingdom, he'll take care of all these other things. <laughs> I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. I've seen God's people just leave the mandate of God and go their own way in their own interest. And I've seen the backsliding children, families. I've seen the coldness that comes upon them. I, I, I've seen that general backsliding. They don't have that fire and passion for Jesus anymore. They come and taste sermons. They're sermon tasters. They'll come on Sunday morning. And they'll, they'll congratulate the pastor for a good word, but they, 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 they just can't wait to get to their own pleasures, their own thing. God's eternal purposes are no longer first in their life. I'm asking you this morning, sitting in this audience, is the, is the work of God, if this is your church, is this first in your life? Or, is it, is it, you say, well, Brother Wilson, I've got so many other things. If you put God first, he said he'll work in covenant with you. He'll take care of your children, take care of your finances, he'll take care of everything else. You put God first. You say, look, look folks, I, I'm not, we have a full church. The, the, uh, 
What do you call the building next door? We all sitting there, the annex. They're full over there. I'm not trying to to build up the congregation in numbers. I'm just giving you a truth. God help you if you become this Zerubbabel type. Because God will send a Haggai to you. He'll send a prophetic word and say, what are you doing? I think he's doing that now. I'm not Haggai, but I have that prophetic word for you this morning that Haggai had. And that same message, what are you doing spending so much time in your own interest and you have left that interest that you had for the things of God? But thank God of the great love he has for all of his children. He, he loves you so much, he's going to let you go. He's not going to let you go that way. And Haggai comes to them. And here's a call to get away from self-comfort and, and even from self-despair and to forget the past. In spite of your failure, he said, you've dropped off. Now pick up your instruments of labor and get back to work. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the remnant. And they returned to the work. What God by a spirit to stir your heart once again. And then the promise came. First the rebuke came. But God always sends a promise if you receive the rebuke. The loving rebuke. There was a reproof with the promise. Let it do it. And here is the promise. Right now from this day and forward. From this day I will bless you. And what the prophet Haggai is saying. It, suddenly, the Spirit of God, there's a new spirit of life and passion came on Zerubbabel and, and the high priest. They got back to work and they called the people back to work. And Haggai now is rejoicing and he comes back. This is just a week later. And he stands before them and he's proclaiming this word. He said, on your calendar, you mark it down. That last week... When you started back again and you got back your zeal for God and you determined to seek the Lord with all of your heart and everything in you, mark it on your calendar. That was the day God started to bless you all over again. And I tell you now, you can make up your mind. You can set your heart. Lord, I'm going to seek you with all my heart and soul and strength and all that's in me. And I promise you, I promise you on the authority of this book, that you can mark it on your calendar. That's the day God turns things around in your life. That's when God begins to answer your prayers and the blessings begin to flow. The spiritual blessings begin to flow. Hallelujah. Then he said, he went further, he said that I will remove the mountain that's been in your way. That's been blocking your path. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. He shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Oh, you'll get a revelation of the grace of God. Every mountain shall be made into a plain. God said, I'll just take my spiritual bulldozer and I'll bulldoze out of your life everything that's been standing in your way. That besetting sin that's become a mountain that you can't get over or under or around. He said, I'll make it a plain and you walk right through it because you've trusted me again. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Folks, I'm becoming one of what they call an old soldier of the cross. But by his grace, I intend to seek him more than I did when he first called me. I'm asking him to remove every mountain. I don't want to go the way of Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua and have 16 years of incapacitated uselessness to the kingdom of God. I want to go out my last days with a shout on my lips. And that's what God wants for you this morning. Wants you to deal with your sin. Some of you have made peace with your sin. We preach grace from this pulpit. But I'm preaching to you what I preach to preachers. And if preachers need it, how much more do you and I need it right now? I want you to stand.
I, I would believe that the majority of you that are hearing me that are in this building now, the majority could honestly say, Pastor David, there's nothing between me and my Lord. Not anything that I know of. I have peace in my heart. I'm not living in sin. But what about the unbelief? What about that that sense that's just beginning to develop recently, that little nagging thing that God has not answered, God has not done it. And because that unbelief is taking root in your heart, unbelief of some kind, it's drawing you away to your own purposes. I ask you, are you... On, are you as on fire and as hot for Jesus as you were two years ago or a year ago or even six months ago? Which way are you going? Are, are, are you being drawn more and more to prayer? Are, are you seeing and hearing things more now from the word of God? Is it more precious to you than it was even six months or a year ago? You spend more time doing your own thing than the seeking God and working for his kingdom. You say, well, that you're paid to do that, Brother David. No. That's for all those raw kings and priests. Thank God for these that have taken some time out and going to Russia to spend time. You may not be able to do that. But you do have time to seek his face as never before. And if you do, as you seek him, I've, people ask me about my ministry. And how I get direction. I want to tell you something. Listen closely. All my direction comes out of communion. I get alone with Jesus. I pray and seek his face. It's there he tells me what to do and when to do it. Where to go. And what to do when I get there. Through communion. Out of communion comes not only revelation but direction. Heavenly Father, I pray for this congregation this morning, those that are in the annex watching, those that are in the balcony, those in the main floor, all through this building and its environs. I pray, Heavenly Father, you send conviction, how you love your people. You want to bring this Haggai word right now. You can mark it down this day if you'll turn to me with all your heart. If you turn away from doing your own thing, if you turn away from your unbelief, I will work, I will move your mountains. And there are people here today that are facing a mountain. They can't get over it, under it, around it. God, you're the only one that can remove that mountain. But he said, that'll happen the day you turn back. Put your hand to the plow. Get back to work. Get back to prayer. Get back to trusting me. And I'll see you through. You can mark it on your calendar. It can be this day. We can mark down this day in June on a Sunday morning at Times Square Church. God changed my life. God began a new thing in my life. If God's convicted you by the Holy Spirit while I've been preaching, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not going to generalize it or anything else. I'm asking you to step out here right now and say, I, I have not been putting the things of God first in my life. I don't know whether it's unbelief. If whatever it is, the Holy Spirit's dealing with you this morning, you come in the annex, you go out into the lobby, and the, they'll show you the door into the auditorium. You come down the steps and come and meet me right here at the front, and I'll pray with you wherever you're at in the balcony. You go to the stairs on either side. Please move in close, move in tight, make room for those that are coming. Lord, remove all unbelief. Forgive me, Lord, for being so wrapped up in my own business, my own life, my own family. Lord Jesus, that you have not been the apple of my eye. You have not been focused in my eye. Forgive me, Jesus. If you're not right with God, if you're backslidden, come with these that are coming right now. Wherever you are. We're going to believe the Lord for deliverance this morning. Total deliverance. Folks, you're going to have to move in real tight, as close as you can, to make some room for those that are coming, all right? I want to turn the whole place into an altar right now.
because we're not going to be able to get everybody here, and there are many of you that have not stepped to the aisle that need to to really repent this morning, and I want to just make the whole turn the whole church into an altar right now. I believe that some of you have a date with destiny this morning. God wants to change you. He brought you here. Maybe you're a visitor. God brought you here this morning to awaken your soul, to deal with you about how you've neglected him. You've not sought him with all of your heart. Folks, with what's coming, you're going to have to be seeking him with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, all that's in you. It's not going to be like it was before. It's not going to be that way at all. You're going to be praying. You're going to be seeking God. Do it now. You're ready. You're prepared for what is coming. But folks, I want to tell you something. Prosperity is the greatest temptation. That's the one thing more than anything else that robs people of their, of their diligence with the Lord. It's easier to serve God in hard times. I, I honestly believe that. When you're being tested and tried, but I'm asking you now to be, allow the Holy Spirit to awaken your spirit. Awaken it now. If there's any sin, anything, say, God, today, I don't want to make peace with it. I don't want to justify anything in my life that's unlike you. If there's been anything in the way of pornography, anything in the way of videos and TV watching that you know has corrupted your spirit and blurred your holy vision, Say, God, forgive me. Give me strength. God, I don't want anything would grieve the Holy Spirit. And to have him just turn his eyes away. Lord Jesus, I want to walk as an example. I want to be an example of your righteousness. Of course, it's righteousness by faith. But I believe that righteousness by faith has to be worked out in everyday things in your life. It has to control our behavior. Are you convinced the Lord loves you this morning? Yes, he does. He's deeply in love with everybody in this house, especially on those who want to go all the way with him. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now, all over the house. Lord Jesus, I want to be cleansed. I need a bath. I want you to wash me by your word. By your blood, Holy Spirit, awaken my heart. Cleanse me, Jesus. Forgive me for neglecting you. Forgive me, Jesus, for the things I allow in my life that are unlike you. Give me the courage to pluck out the right eye that offends me and to cut off the right hand hand that offends me that I'm not being offense to you or to man Jesus give me your holiness your righteousness I lay my sins down and I believe you Jesus to give me the power of the Holy Ghost to kill and to drive out of my life everything that's unlike you Lord Jesus, woo me to prayer and to the word. Sanctify me. Keep me from the spirit of this age. And as I walk out of this church, even today, I will not forget what you're doing in my heart right now. Now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray. For all those who prayed this prayer with me, that if it's come from the heart, you have heard it. And he that's begun a good work and you will finish it to the day of the Lord's coming. Lord Jesus, draw your people closer. Lord, in just a short time now, we're going to hear such awesome news, such perilous things that are beginning to happen. We see Russia going bankrupt now. A revolution about to break out. We see things happening just on the verge here in the country. 
Lord Jesus, we see things that grieve us and cause us to weep. But we have one safe hiding place, and it's in you. We have a rock upon which we stand. And you said when you begin to see these perilous times come, look up and rejoice, because your redemption draws nigh. You're coming soon, Jesus, and we thank you. Help us, Lord, not to be caught unaware, but help us to be ready. To be ready in Jesus' name. Break the power of sin this morning. This is the conclusion of the message. Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Todd. I just want to thank you for listening to this very powerful message. We put it up on the channel because we think that everything that Pastor David Wilkerson was saying in this message is still very appropriate for today. And I know that it ministered to many of you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions, you can go to toddcoconato.com. That's T-O-D-D-C-O-C-O-N-A-T-O.com. And you can message me from the site there and we will get back to you. And we thank you so much for being part of this remnant community. God bless you.